dinosaur cult. Secret dinosaur cult. Secret dinosaur cult. Susie Hagen of Forrest and Jodie Mitchell are doll. Have daddy issues that they go to tackle her doll. People of the audience, please give it up for Secret Dinosaur Cult! Thank you! Thank you! Hello! Thank you so much for coming to Secret Dinosaur Cult at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival! <laughs> no gifts today. <gasps> oh my god, I was being now all Now you like look like such a dick. <laughs> I'm okay with that, actually, because we get... Should I ch oh, we don't have time... We don't have time to check. We don't have time to check, Jodie. We started late. Oh, okay, okay. Ah! It's like Christmas, but there is a gift. <gasps> it's huge. <laughs> is it? It's really big. Go check, Jodie. Go check, Jodie. Go check. Jodie's checking. Whoa. Oh, you didn't even take it. This is oh, well, so I haunting. Just, it's just that uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not used to this. <laughs> Unconditional love. No, and it says enjoy your day on the side of it, which is nice. And I'm not, I'm not used to that either. <laughs> We're rejecting your present yep. off of the basis you, of then. never having been taught empathy. Uh. <laughs> it's been a weird week for uh, empathy, actually. I, yeah. I received a very interesting message yesterday um, from... Uh, an old white straight guy online and um, <laughs> shockingly which was like I know you don't want to hear this from me but you and Sophie Hagen are very attractive <laughs> I was like it's so interesting that you know I don't want to hear it from you <laughs> and yet you're still shared <sighs> I feel a lot of things like he's both really right and really wrong <laughs> I go, oh, ew, don't tell me that. Also, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I did need to hear that, Andy. Dad? No. <laughs> oh. Oh, God. I, um, <laughs> I cannot judge that person because I have, I feel like I've been that person. I've done a lot of messages to people late night, <laughs> and it's not good. One I thought was almost very slick <laughs> to a boy. <laughs> Uh, where I said, I sent it at 2.30 a.m. <laughs> and I wrote, remind me to ask you tomorrow morning how you're doing so that it doesn't seem like a booty call. <laughs> wow. That was Friday, still no answer. So, yeah. Maybe it's just because you succeeded in it not seeming like a booty call. <laughs> yeah, he, he read it at 3 a.m. going, oh, what a shame. <laughs> Oh, she seems completely like she would never, ever have sex with me again. Um. Ah, the Edinburgh Fringe. A time of emotional stasis for everyone. I looked into my inbox, my, my messenger inbox, and it was just a bunch of unread, sent messages from me. Or various degrees of, hey, or, so are you out? <laughs> You're awake? Do you still have a girlfriend? All that sort of stuff. And... Um, Still no replies, still no replies, it's fine. <laughs> At least I have my dignity, shut up. <laughs> don't judge me, don't you dare judge me. <laughs> oh no, I love it. I also love it when you're just biphobic to yourself. You're like, I messaged this guy. Ooh, ooh. Oh yeah. Is that biphobic or is it misandry? I'm okay with misandry. <laughs> A question Why not to think let them about. all be right on the internet? <laughs> now. Mm, you've got this. Speaking of things that are terrible, mm -hmm. <laughs> like my flirting skills, let's do the terrible person segment. Are you okay, hon? I'm Jurassic, mate. You're just the worst. Triceratop, that bitch. Wow, you really are a terrible person. Hey, go on, I don't even get me started. So, for the terrible person segment, we would like to give you a little present. Uh, the present of forgiveness. So if you would all, can I just quickly ask, how many have never listened to this before? <laughs> That's a quite a lot. Okay, well, it's <laughs> too late now. So imagine one of the really worst things you've ever done. Just imagine it, like, oh, what have you done? Did you, oh, are you one of those people who's just always late? I'm now projecting, you're always late, you piece of shit. <laughs> imagine the worst thing you've ever done. And now... We, we forgive, forgive you. you. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, our turn. 
Jodie, what have you done of horrific, terrible things? I, uh, I was reminded of this yesterday because I met up with one of my oldest university friends uh, because I went to Edinburgh Uni. So when I'm at the fringe, not only do I get to spend all month seeing all the fringe people that come up from London, I also get to see all my other friends. So it's a great time for me in terms of emotional labour. Um, <laughs> not that I don't love you. Any, we'll cut that out. It's fine, it's fine. Um, so I, I met up with one of my oldest friends and I remembered a really genuinely bad thing that I did when I was, I think, 20. Um, my friend had a secret YouTube account for their heartfelt songs. <laughs> um, and plug one it, of, plug <laughs> it. <laughs> it's gone now. Oh, I tried to find shit. it last night after I remembered very, very cleverly of them. Um, I realized the worst thing is that I'm now doing this. Um, <laughs> they've removed it now, so it's safe. But one of the songs that was featured on there was a gorgeous song that they wrote when they were 15 years old. It was called The Friendship Ship. And it was gorgeous. <laughs> it was a lovely song. It was so heartfelt. They'd written it for their school's talent competition. It was so nice. <laughs> and the, the, the message of it was that at first you think you're alone, but then the friendship ship comes and you climb on board with all your new friends. <laughs> and um, I organized a party for them. Um, and they told me that this YouTube account was secret. <laughs> but I sort of neglected to remember that. And so I organized this party for them. And as they arrived, everyone greeted them singing Friendship Ship <gasps> with the lyrics, at first I thought it was a dream, but then I saw it sailing. <laughs> it was the Friendship Ship. <laughs> And it was like all hope of true friendship died within them. Um, but it was a really fun party. <laughs> it was great. So that was bad. I think you sank the friendship ship. I really did. <laughs> You're I the really, iceberg. really did. The friendship ship clashed into. <laughs> the friendship ship was Titanic all along. Well, Jodie, I forgive you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and Sophie, how have you been a terrible person? I, f I struggle to feel really bad about this. <laughs> but I know it probably is. So there's, in Edinburgh, there's this thing called Silent Disco, which is potentially probably the worst thing in the entire world. Um, if it's a b somewhere between 10 and 50 people following a clown. <laughs> not in the educated oh I went to clown school way just a, like a fucking asshole uh, who's like has like a whistle and is like whoop whoop come on everybody and then they're all wearing headphones and they can hear really great songs like famous great like Bohemian Rhapsody really good you know the kind of songs where when you hear them you think oh I wish I really wish that that will never be ruined for me by 50 people shouting them into my face without music in the background, in the street, 10 times a day for the entire month of August. <laughs> and the thing I hate about it, I hate, I hate that these people know that it's shameful to do this. The people who are wa walking around the streets singing along, they know, you can see it in their eyes that they have deep shame, mm. but you, you can also see in their eyes that they have convinced themselves that actually it's really fun and cool. Mm but they're not really convinced. So they have this like, <laughs> like desperate look in their eyes and they're looking at everyone they're walking past to, because every time someone smiles at them and it's like, yay, haha, this is fun. They feel like, oh, thank God, I've not made the worst decision of my life. <laughs> so they're like dancing around, singing along, but, and they're feeling really bad, but they're looking for like validation. Mm. And I went, <laughs> I, was, I went out for food I d and I don't remember, because I've eaten here like every single day, so I don't know if, you if it was with you, or it could have been anyone else as well, because I've done it a lot. And at the table, I get this, it's always by the window, and then they will pass the window, and then what they do is, because you can see like right into the people eating, they'll look in, and they'll like stop and do like a dance, and then the other people in the restaurant will like, yay, ha ha ha, like wave at them, but then I'm closest, <laughs> 
And what I'll do is I'll look at them with like no facial expression <laughs> until they realize that they should feel the shame. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see them like, Woo, it's this the real life. And you can see them like, <sighs> just realize slowly that this is really embarrassing and that I'm judging them mm -hmm. really hard. Mm -hmm. And I think it breaks <laughs> them down. <laughs> and I'm okay with it. <laughs> <coughs> well, Sophie, um, for ruining the joy of those people, <coughs> mm -hmm. I forgive you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Feels good, not even feeling bad at being forgiven. Anyway, it's great. <laughs> you know, I went to um, I went to Brighton to do the Brighton Fringe. I thought you said I thought you were going to say you went on one of those. And I was like, oh God, well, no. this is over. No, this no, no, has no, been no, a fun no. podcast. Goodbye. That would it, it involves singing in public, which you know I never do. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went to Brighton. I was on Brighton Beach with um, my like other queers from my comedy collective. And then we saw one of those arrive. They like moved down onto the beach and they were singing, I'm so excited. <laughs> and so we could just see them coming in the distance, like, I'm so excited. <laughs> just can't hide it. And we were like backing slowly towards the sea. <laughs> it was horrible. It was like a nightmare. <laughs> I felt like they'd come from Edinburgh just to be there with us. <laughs> it was a pebble beach. We were like, if we throw them, will they? <laughs> It was horrible. <coughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. Mm. Speaking of um, being backed into a corner from which you can't escape, <laughs> let's discuss someone who did escape. <laughs> Our dads. <laughs> I'm really proud of that, that was, one. That was really good. Thank you. Really yeah. good. Speaking of someone who will never be proud... <laughs> no matter how funny I am. <laughs> it's time for the daddy hole segment. Um, people that haven't listened before, strap in. <laughs> so obviously we don't have a jingle for these segments. We do them ourselves. And um, it's now my turn. <coughs> and um, I've almost lost my voice <laughs> almost every day of the Fringe. So um, this, this will be really interesting. I also haven't done a warm-up um but i took the original and i've translated it from the italian so that it's understandable so even when i've changed that hopefully you'll get it when i am alone i sit and dream and when i dream it's about daddy <laughs> because when he left i was bereft oh yes his leaving hurt me badly and he does not visit me, not me. Sometimes I see it from above. <laughs> Wind up the windows, close the boot and the doors on your shitty polo. You look at me. I'm 13, and you won't see me again. Time to <laughs> say goodbye to Daddy as he drives on to the M14 with his new girlfriend who actually is left wing <laughs> and as an adult I agree and support most of our opinions <laughs> which is frustrating now you are so far away I sit alone and dream of child support day but I know you will not spend your cash on me on me <laughs> Building bridges over land and sea to escape all your responsibility <laughs> to be a daddy. <laughs> Time to <laughs> say goodbye 
stuff from here you will go i'll emulate your masculine traits but i won't exist anymore i have a coism daddy Thank you. <clears throat> I can't actually get therapy while I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, so that was very good. <laughs> and Sophie... No, I'm not following that. <laughs> it's over now. It's done. <laughs> I feel like you've cheated somehow. <laughs> the album of the daddy hole jingles will pay for our pension <laughs> i really hope so <laughs> it would be amazing wouldn't it well <sighs> <Jesus laughs> oh, there's so many tweets sophie yeah how have you filled your daddy hole this week i woke up one morning and i just had this feeling of i feel like moving my body I feel like moving my body. I feel like maybe some kind of yoga, like some stretching. And I found this um, class that was right next to where I live. I found my yoga outfit and the, the sports bra and everything. And um, you know, did a bit of like some warm-ups and stuff. And I was, it was just like a really nice feeling of like, I'm going to start doing yoga now. I didn't, I didn't go, but <laughs> <laughs> it just felt really... Yeah. <sighs> And did it work? Did he come back? No. <laughs> Jodie, how did you fill your daddy hole? I uh, went through all the leaflets that I've been carrying around in my bag because I've been replacing the top, you know, four-fifths of them every day. Um, but the bottom fifth... Um <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Shoe fly. The bottom fifth has been becoming sort of slowly saturated with the moisture that's been getting into my bag from the almost constant rain. Um, and so I went through the bottom fifth and I removed any that had sort of had colour bleed or become tatty. And did it work? Did he come back? No. That's that Okay, bit. that's that bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's ever gotten <laughs> a smattering of applause before, but that was nice. <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs> uh, old things. <laughs> I think it's time to introduce the dinosaur. <laughs> It's time to introduce the dinosaur. Which dinosaur? The dinosaur. Yeah, but which one? The one which we will project on our shoes on. Oh, that dinosaur. Now, the dinosaur of which we will speak today. <laughs> it just, it's because we're in a church. It sounded quite... Grandiose. Yes, quite priesty. Mm. It's another word for that. Um... A bit priesty. So, <laughs> this one has a name. It's Indy. Indy, the iguanodon. Aww. Right. So let's just first talk about how it looks, so you can. Mm. I mean, I don't. I don't want to make this into a like a kind of a low. You know, a, a dirty podcast. <laughs> but its head <laughs> does bear resemblance. It's, I don't know if you ever seen like a penis head. Um. <laughs> I know. I just. I feel like it is sort of like that. It has like a round. Okay. It has a penis head, and then I'll try. It's it like I'll walks try. on all four, 
I mean, yeah. it says that it walks on two or four, but I'm pretty sure it's four because of this picture I have here. Um, it has like stripes. It's striped. It has like a very um, what's it called? Is anyone in from Denmark? Come on, <laughs> I need to translate a word. Spiss. Uh, as a spiss tail. Um, Sorry, like a poke spiss tail. Like a spiss tail. Cool. And it has like it feels like it has like a gut under it, and it has like quite a, a longish neck that goes up to its penis head. Cool. And it has these like lizardy, uh, like feet. Cool. It was a herbivore. I, I'm assuming you're just drawing. Yeah. Looks like that sloth from that from Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> or is that a penis? Sid the sloth. Well, I've I've had to sort of be quite creative. I'm not entirely sure what a penis looks like. I don't think it's not, it's not like that. But to be fair, it's been a while, so maybe they've changed. Um, teeth, chewing cheek teeth. Try saying that four times. And a horny beak. <laughs> Uh, I told you, told you, uh, it would eat plants, it would move on two or four legs, it was uh, from the early Cretaceous period, so that's like, like hundreds of years ago, uh, 140 to 110 million years ago, primarily found in Belgium, England, and the US of A, <laughs> the US of A, and uh, it was about 10 meters long, would weigh up to 4,000 kilos, now, <clears throat> the reason we've chosen this one is because Indy, the specific one, was found by a self-taught paleo paleo what's it called paleo paleontologist paleontologist a self-taught paleontologist self which is not a thing <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's Jamie Jordan a self-taught paleontologist I don't know why I can't that's say just it. a and founder man. of <laughs> and founder of fossils galore. <laughs> A website and museum. <laughs> <laughs> so they were just like digging around at the site of the Wienerberger quarry. Come on, don't be, don't be, it's funny. And, and they found Indy uh, at a, under a brick factory in Surrey. And now, well, I just had to, I had to quote this paleontologist. The discovery, he said, was startling. It's mega rare! <laughs> you know how you learn how to use language in school. <laughs> Paleontologist. It's like super rare! Um, yeah, and that was a iguanodon. And now um, my mother works in a factory, has worked in a factory her entire life. And she is um, very, very working class. And I thought that Indy, my mother, factory... I think it's time to talk about class. Excellent. And for the first time ever, it's almost like a year since we started doing this podcast. We're mm. in back in Edinburgh where it all started. Mm. And I think we should mix it up a bit mm. and try and have a guest. I think that would be a really cool idea. Please get up for my dad. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't know where he is. It's not my dad. It's even better. It's Kiri Pritchard McLean. <laughs> Jodie's a genuinely brilliant singer. No one was expecting that, were they? <laughs> we're all just like, this is really funny, but it's incredibly beautiful. <laughs> it was a real yeah. moment. Thanks Thank for that. You. There was a moment where I was like, oh, I miss my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to laugh. <laughs> Kiri, um, how do you feel about uh, dinosaurs? Um, well, in our kitchen in the flat, we have a, a dinosaur-themed top trumps, oh, um, so that's what we play to sort of debrief at the end of every day. But we also live with a Cambridge University-educated person with a degree in paleontology who's like technically not a dinosaur about everything, which can <laughs> suck the fun out of top trumps <laughs> if you really push a fact angle. Um, but yeah, I, I think I did the same same thing that everyone did and went through a heavy dinosaur phase. Mm. really into dinosaurs yeah, yeah. I, I knew the one that you would describe what it looked like oh yeah yeah and you was I right about the yeah penis absolutely head? bob Thank on you. about the penis head yeah did it look like this it it did <laughs> it didn't <laughs> and the head looks definitely more like a vagina 
I'm going to be honest with you. That was my main cultural point I had to yeah, draw sure. from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, what you know, that's what they say, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. I still think it looks like a sloth from Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> but again, yeah, actually perfect. <laughs> perfect depiction. <laughs> Anyways. So you, I feel like you should get tattoos of these <laughs> after every show. And then you might try harder. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> sure. Uh, um, so I think I wanted to talk about class because I've I have this I come from this weird, weird thing of being working class in Denmark, which I don't think looks the same as being working class here. So I was just kind of curious, and you're like a what's the word? I have no words left, it's the middle of the French. Not pioneer, not patriot. Um, front runner? <laughs> Help me. Champion? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Great. Of, of that. Of, well, I have a really complicated relationship with class, really complicated. Well, naturally I say class, but I, uh, I corrected myself there. So I am a farmer's daughter. Well, so yeah, my mum my was a farmer, my dad was... Uh, he worked for a charity and then when we moved to Wales he was laid off so he was unemployed so he used to work on the farm as well and then when it was time for me to go to school I was meant to go to the normal school that my brothers went to but it got really shit so they went and got extra jobs to put me in a nearby private school where I was the poor one and the one who was like markedly poor mum used to make my uniforms because there was no extra money and everything everything from the household was going into these school fees and as the only one who didn't do like didn't have music lessons didn't go to sailing club um appreciate none of this is very sympathetic i'm not trying to make it something like i would we didn't have a swimming pool um <laughs> uh yeah w- would get or lived on a farm so would, was the only one of my friends who worked from a young age would have to work um, my brothers used to steal money from people in school and hide it in my mum's purse. Um, and then I went to a normal school, which was the first time it was my choice. I, I got into a boarding school and I wanted to go to like a normal state school. And then I was like, you're posh, you're posh, you're posh, was all I was told. And I don't ever feel like I'm anything. I've never belonged in either. So I had this really complicated, really complicated. I remember coming home from school and saying, Mummy, what class are we? And if you're asking that, you're fucking middle class. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> And my parents disagreed. My father was like, we're working class. And my mum was like, we're middle class. And so this is really weird thing of like, yeah, that I don't ever feel like I belong in either. I, but I'm obsessed with class and signifiers of what I love class of like, what words do people use? What accents do they have? What references do they make? Like, I'm obsessed with always analysing what class people are part of and therefore where I think their intentions lie. <laughs> yeah. I relate to that so much. Really? So yeah, because I've heard you talk about this before a little bit and it was, like, really kind of amazing to, like, have someone that was doing comedy that had had similar experience because I got scholarships into a really posh private school in my local area I was living in like a council flat with like my like a single parent, like heroin needles outside the door, like minimum benefits, like mum not working, uh, really struggling, like homeless for a long period of time. But I was at this like really posh school called the Per School for Girls. I was head girl. The what school for girls? The Per School for Girls. Oh, was it the Per? The Per School for Girls. Really good. That'd be quite nice actually, <laughs> wouldn't it? it? Um, and so I also really felt like I didn't fit in either and obviously now it's that thing where I'm so aware that I have inordinate amounts of educational privilege so much educational privilege like went Mm. off to uni unlike like anyone else in my family like I've really really benefited from those opportunities but obviously my family think I'm a pretentious wanker Mm. uh, as they should because I am (laughs) Um, and then most of the people that I spend my time with now really can't relate to my day-to-day at all or like my experience when I was growing up at all so it's that weird limbo and it's manifested as just being completely obsessed with analyzing class all the time totally love it and and privilege and where you perceive people's privilege to lie and yeah and how much they I've got a real one of the reasons why I have talked about it on stage and been up front is uh because I am like left wing on stage I don't want anyone primarily a journalist because I think they're all scum anyway (laughs) but like to go oh we heard you went to a private school and like think that they've outed me so I've Mm. always been really upfront, and I have a real bugbear with 
comedians who uh, are like working class, working class, and then you find out they're privately educated, and you're like, you have to be honest about your privilege. Mm. You have to. And like, ev- no one wants to think they're middle class because that's who everyone blames everything on. But like, if you work in the arts, you're fucking middle class. Like, you know, whether you come from a shit background, like, you know, get arts kinds of it, whatever. Like, if you're doing comedy as a job, you're middle class. Your upbringing might not have been, but like, you, that's it now. If you get to do art for a living, you definitely are. Yeah. And there's this weird shame attached to it. It's, yeah, it's so, I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> Isn't that, str- I've, when I moved to the UK and I realized that it was a thing, to like divide a country, a people into three camps based on, well, a lot of things, not just money. It just felt like such a weird thing because it never had been. I mean, we we you know, in De- like we, I grew up working class with my mother, but we didn't know the word. We didn't have a word for it. It was just like, oh, we're really poor. We mm-hmm. can't afford things. But just, it felt very strange. So that was almost like a community around it in the UK where. You know, you see comedians on stage talk about like oh, middle class, working class, middle class. And I'd be like, oh, this is kind of weird and fascinating. But and I feel like there must be a lot of th- problems with doing that. But also, part of me was kind of like, oh, it's kind of nice that there's a a group in a way, which I know is like the most disgusting thing to say because it's a really p- it's a big problem. But I um, it felt weird that there was a like reassuring. Yeah, kind of like oh, this is like if you give it a name, it's like a label. You're like oh, actually, I if I, if there's a label, there's other people who feel the same way, and we've mm-hmm. kind of gone together and gone. We all had this common experience on paper, sure, <laughs> but I think <laughs> what happens is like any group, like with feminism, there's factions within it. So people who would identify as working class because they had you know like a parent that didn't work but then they also had a parent who would you know like underwrite the household who just wasn't around and all this kind of stuff so sometimes you're never like or how you speak or you're not working class because of like well you've got a posh accent so I bet people like you're not working class so it's all this thing about like no you don't and it's because it's that it all comes down to privilege and people feel guilty about it and when you're working class what you get to say is I have worked so hard for everything that I have and and that's what it like if you're visible i've worked so hard for everything i had and then any other caveats it makes it look like you're not deserving i guess um and and also i feel like being working class is like so underrepresented so people want to speak up when they definitely identify with that um yeah oh god i love it i'm literally like (laughs) running through all the comedians in my head about where are you where are you where do you fit do you know i think it's a really weird signifier jade and i talk about this because jade's from like like working class jade adams comedian working class um parents who work really hard and have a nice house and things now um I think you could tell people are working class because of what they spend their money on Mm. and so like uh and susie ruffles is where like here's my thing Rich people, middle class people, always make it look like they've got no money. All the like rich kids I know from Cambridge all dress like farm hands. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they all dress like they're they like got a bin bag from outside a charity shop and taken that home. And it's this weird thing of like trying to dress like you have no money, whereas working class people were fucking scum. So like <laughs> if I got any money, I got straight on the sunbed. <laughs> if Jade Adams got any money, she gets fake nails. And it's all this way of making yourself seem rich. But it isn't. It's all a pretense, and like you know, like make sure I've, well, I'm going to spend money on clothes and showing people that I'm doing well. I think that's quite a inherently working class thing. Susie just got a very nice new suit. I saw the great oh, suit. So nice. Really good suit. Yeah. <laughs> saw her walking around, and I was like, "Yes, Susie." It's so good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, and people think she's rich, so she's played a blinder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think in the UK I come across as middle class. I think I seem middle class, despite the fat thing, which I know is often seen as a working class thing. But I can feel, like, I will get on the plane in the UK feeling like this is how I come across, feeling like the guilt of seeming like someone who's rich. And then I'll get off the plane and I'll be like, oh, now people can tell. <laughs> people can definitely tell because it's such a shift from how you look, like, just how the, the like, how, what the working class looks like in, the, in both countries. And it's such a weird thing because I, <laughs> I had to go to university in order to make money because you get paid to go to university in Denmark. So that's how I made money, was by signing up. I mean, I did genuinely think that I would graduate. (laughs) 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 But yeah, you know. So I would just start school, and then get you get paid some between five and seven, eight hundred pounds a month. So I'd show up to some classes, realize I want to do comedy, forget to 
you know, well, I, could, I couldn't afford to not go. So I just, until they threw me out, then I'd sign up for another. So I've studied children's psychology, social work, international social work, Russian, Greek, and Persian. Because after a certain point, you can't get into the ones that everyone wants to go to. You have to take the ones that no one wants to go to. <laughs> and that was Russian, Persian, and Greek. <laughs> the last two was about a year of my, in like a year's worth of income, and I didn't show up to a single class. I did try Russian, but then I failed all the exams. But I didn't have to, I just had to be at the exams and all of them to not take away all the money. That was how I got by when I first moved to the UK, oh was by God. pretending I was still in Denmark at uni. But if anyone from you know, the Danish <laughs> government listens, that's not what I did. I was just making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a whole thing in Denmark about how that is, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, the, then kids can just uh, try to go to school and then they can make money and stuff. But yeah, but... Like, you can't really study comedy anywhere. I felt like I was being, I was, I felt like I was being paid to study. It just wasn't Greek <laughs> or Russian. It was comedy because that's what made me able to do five, six, seven, ten gigs a week in London for a year until I had to actually <laughs> stop. <laughs> But we had sort of a similar thing over here, like, uh, so it's going to sound like I'm a massive Blair right now, but like, obviously, f very flawed. But like, 97, you get Blair's government come in, and, and two things that they did is that they said that they had a target for 50% of young people to go to university, mm. and uh, which is a great thing, because, uh, in my opinion, because obviously higher education is not right for everyone, but it's more, like, for me, coming from Bumblefuck Nowhere in Wales, like, it is it wasn't what I learnt in my classes. It was like, oh, what's Eid? Because I just didn't know. And it was like moving out of the area and learning how to be independent and learning that people from other countries exist and how to talk to people from different cultures. Like, that was a huge part of the education. And there was a thing as well that was it was sort of called rock and dole, which was, the, uh, the, like, basically the dole, an employment benefit, that the idea was, yeah, we should absolutely give this to artists and it should sort of subsidise them becoming artists because and I think that's really myopic that we don't have any support for arts anyway because that is fucking Britain makes loads of money out of the arts and it's so silly that they're like don't give that many money it's because it's not seen as like a worthy subject so Denmark system makes total sense being in Wales as well there's like an extra thing to class there like we don't have posh people we just have English people <laughs> so <laughs> we don't like like that dis like the severe distaste that people have for upper class people we have for English people and we don't like it's much more squashed together in Wales in like certainly the north where I'm where I'm from in terms of class that I say the wealth divide is narrower um because if you are at that top you're just considered English so it's sort of dismissed whereas <laughs> Welsh people I think the, the you know the wealth uh, inequality the gap is far narrower so there's just a difference yeah like there's it feels like us and them but not in a class way just as in like English and Welsh are so bad. <laughs> Get it out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we hate you. <laughs> do you find that, like, when you... Do you go back and gig in Wales a lot? Like, do you take your show on tour there? Yes, I do it on tour there. I do, like, one in my hometown, which is always the hardest, I'd say, worst gig of the tour. Um, and I, I'll do... There's not loads in Wales, are quite spread out. Um, so I don't do mid-Wales, but I'll do a couple in South Wales. And, yeah, I do gig back there. Yeah. And it's, um, it's actually really nice. It's all this... Like, when I was at home, I always felt like, again, I had a complicated relationship with, am I Welsh, am I English? Because we are in an English-speaking household in a Welsh-speaking area with a Welsh father who spoke, in, uh, spoke Welsh, English at home, English mother who didn't speak Welsh. So all this complicated bullshit about whether I was Welsh, whereas now I'm, like, absolutely Welsh. And I thought my hometown hated me because I was a teenager and I, you know, you're pushing out. And then I went back and everyone's like, we're so fucking proud of you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> um, so it's such a nice thing to, because I'm like moving back to Wales. I'm in the process of doing it now. And I like, I've just like totally fallen in love with the place and how normal people are. Well, as normal as like Welsh people in the countryside can be, but like <laughs> that there's a real sense of community and they care for people who do well and want everyone to do well. I think it's really nice. Yeah, I find that too when I go back. My family are all Scottish and they're from Kilmarnock. For shithole, that's the <laughs> translation. Um, and it's had one show made there called The Scheme and The Scheme got cancelled after three episodes because everyone got arrested for selling diazepam. That's where my family are. Um, beautiful place, love going back. <laughs> my mum was like, don't ever speak while you're here. Be quiet. Um... <laughs> 
but people are really proud. People are still really proud when you go back. I think I had a bit of a complex when I was growing up. I was like, oh, I'm just going to be rejected by everyone in my family because it's going to be like a weird working class ship thing. And what an arsehole to think that of yeah. people and to be so presumptuous about other people's emotions and to be so up myself, basically. Yeah. But actually, they're just proud. Yeah, that's the thing as well, is that I find myself being really reductive and, and like, in, in both ways of being like, well, you're middle class, how can you possibly... And, and having this, this is something I've had to teach myself with the chip of being like, when I meet wealthy people, which you do in comedy, because they have decided they don't just want to run the world, they want to do the fun stuff. <laughs> so there's very wealthy people doing comedy, and I have like a, where I'm like, fuck you, go and be a doctor, I can't do anything else. And I get really angry with them, but I'm like, that is ridiculous, because if they treated you and told you what you could not couldn't do based on your birth circumstances you would be fuming. So, like, you can't hate people for being rich, but you can hate them for being cunts about it, I think. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I want to see them, like... I would love to see that trickle-down stuff. You know, you hear about this, this stat that the poorer people are, the more money they give to charity and things like that. It's like, that's what I want to see is... Because it's a really thorny subject in comedy. We always talk about representation in terms of gender and sexuality and race, and we never, ever talk about it in terms of class. I was thinking about with loads of the shows that are absolutely smashing it that I'm really pleased for, and I'm like, these are all from the same wealth bracket, all the people making these shows, and why is that never acknowledged? That, like this is stuff that's lauded is from wealthy families and I wonder why that is and it's not because people who aren't wealthy have got nothing to offer it's a perception thing I think yeah do you find because I find like the intersection of class and comedy so interesting the first time that we ever talked on Made of Human we ended up talking about going into comedy and not being middle class because most people went to Oxbridge went to Cambridge and then went off onto the circuit right do you find that you have to exercise a lot of uh, patience or tolerance, or do you think that no. you've reached a point now? <laughs> no, I'm not tolerant with do you. Just call it out. Well, here's the thing: is I came up on a different circuit. I think if you come up on the London circuit, it's very footlight centric, mm. um, and the industry is. But I came up on the Northwest circuit, which is incredibly working class. Like most, the headliners are from like real working class fam- families. Uh, are now middle class because they've been doing comedy for a while, but like certainly the way they were raised isn't. So this is really weird. But then the problem is when you come to Edinburgh, those working class people tend not to come up here. And if they do, they don't get much attention for it. So again, it, it just splits. And, and that's what's so difficult about Edinburgh is like, this is where you get lots of your breaks and chances mm-hmm. and it's prohibitively expensive. And it's stacked against people who have like mobility issues hugely people who have any kind of like social anxiety what a fucking nightmare to be here like if you can't afford it and also if you have kids like it's nearly impossible which means that we're only getting this like upwardly mobile financially buoyant group of people doing shows up here um especially in visible venues like if you if you go to the pleasance like i i bet if you means tested it like wealthier parents there because it's more expensive um uh, and you know you get the best pr that money can buy and that helps you get into that venue whereas like on cowgate there's amazing venues like just the tonic and stuff but i bet you most of those people that's where most of the working class acts i know are there doing their shows because it's a better deal but it's less visible industry literally would much rather walk across the courtyard than go around the corner so it's the same thing being perpetuated again and again which is really difficult which i guess is why if anyone has any visibility uh, so like Tez Ilias has got a show and he's got like most of the people on it are northern and working class which is like a huge step which is great and that's that's it it's about championing those people but that's why if I see anyone getting anything and they don't like send the ladder down I'm like you're a fucking cunt you're on the list <laughs> <laughs> oh I'd love to see that list oh so yes yeah, I'd so love good. to so it's a written list as well yeah. <laughs> and like things old fashioned sometimes it's just nice to have something on a bit of paper in it <laughs> Tattooed. Tattooed, tattooed like that, like the dinosaur. Beautiful. I feel like it's so like when I started realizing what was happening, it was so scary. And I think the first was when Will Duggan, uh, I was about to say friend of the podcast, friend of your podcast. um, uh, He was my tour support, and we drove through Eton 
full disclosure, because I wanted an Eton mess from Eton. <laughs> I didn't know Eton was like the school was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I made him drive me around the school like 10 times. I was like, tell me more. What is this? Because it seemed so scary. And it that was just a normal thing to have. And it's, well, uh, it was like 900,000 a year to go there. And it's yeah. like, and he was like, this is where they make the prime ministers. And then he was like, it's a boys' school. I was like, Ugh. oh, <laughs> yeah. What's happening there? <laughs> this, yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. They go with a party line that, like, will we do better? Because they get a disproportionately high amount of people going to Cambridge and Oxford. Um, uh, private schools do anyway, anyway. And they said, well, it's because we only allow the brightest minds. Well, fuck you, because only, like, only boys are going. So I call bullshit on that. Also, the, for someone that's like, we only allow the brightest minds, they accidentally claim thousands of pounds worth of funding from the EU because they forgot they weren't a farm. Mm. So... <laughs> I just that. don't think that they are that bright. And it's just this sort of like, who was I talking to? But talking to someone the other day, again, about class, one of my favourite subjects. And <laughs> they were talking about how they knew someone who went to Eton. And they said when they went there, um, well, like when they were in like year seven, like first year, 11, 12, whatever it is, um, they, there were still some people who were from sort of like really aspirational, like middle class families who'd thrown everything into it. And he said by the time they got to the like sixth form bit, it was only the ultra-rich sort of international um, people going there and, like, very old-money families. So they even eat in Etonian is, like, the wealth divide is spreading in Eton. So fuck knows what it's like everywhere else. Like, if Eton's like, oh, my God, not even the poor ones are coming anymore. Like, that's really scary. I really Because it is. It's, it's a factory for prime ministers. And this is one of the things I'm so glad that I went to a normal secondary school mm. because I would have definitely gone through life thinking because I remember in fact even probably until I went out with one of my exes who's like working class and I was like well I was like I sort of thought everyone could afford to go to a private school because my mum had gone out and done it by wiping old people's asses in old people's homes and dads had driven lorries so I was like oh you just have to work hard enough ignoring that like well my mum had didn't have any health things that meant that she could do that she could drive like my one of my exes, his mum was like she had really bad mental health problems, couldn't really leave the house, was illiterate, so couldn't apply for jobs. And I just didn't see all the privilege that comes with being able-bodied and able to do this stuff. And I was just like, well, if you don't go to private school, your parents haven't worked hard enough. And that's like, imagine thinking that. But like, there are people who go through this world with that r thought never disrupted. And um, so, yeah, I think it's that's why private school should be abolished, even though like my primary school was amazing, amazing place. Just yeah. two mad hippies who started a school. And um, we did fucking philosophy lessons at 10. Like, <laughs> imagine that we would do like mindfulness and then they'd be like, they'd ask you a really full on question. And you'd be sat there as a 10 year old being like, I don't know, would I steal the medicine to save for someone I loved? <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was am it was amazing. It was like not the kind of like you know like, it, but it it was still like well that should that should be everyone's experience of education. It shouldn't yeah. be just the people who can afford it. That's the until it's everyone's. It can't just be a small group of people because I feel the same. It's like I'm so grateful that I got to go to that school, and I don't I don't really think I would be here if I hadn't because my home life was so oppressively depressing. I don't really think. If I hadn't gone somewhere that had been like, no, look, you're clever. There's something good about you. Like, hold on to that. I don't think I would have had the confidence to go and pursue the stuff I actually wanted to do. But while I was there, I was also told that people on benefits deserve to starve in the streets by my best friend. Genuinely just said that in class one day. And I, I just can't believe that we're allowed to have these places that we put children and allow them to be indoctrinated into the most toxic ways of seeing society allow them to be told that they are better than other people yeah you are then, told that yeah and then you're just sent off into the world and of course those people become prime minister because they're they're told that they're the best ones so of course they're aiming to be there and then of course they're cunts <laughs> of course they treat everyone badly of course they don't cause actual social change i mean i only mean this halfly but <laughs> y you know when you see politicians you're like you weren't bullied enough do you know what I mean? <laughs> you see some of them and you're like, if you'd have had just like six months in a rough comp and someone <laughs> knocking the shit out of you, we wouldn't be having to deal with this right now. <laughs> you know, I think one of the main reasons my family actually accepted me being gay is because before I came out, I was sleeping with a boy that went to Eton. Um, <laughs> and I think they were just so relieved. 
that that wasn't going to happen anymore. He stood up when my mum came to the dinner table and she was like, shit, the fuck down. (laughs) 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 Wasn't having any of it, none of it at all. (laughs) I feel like we've explored class and now as we're a little bit running out of time, I think it might be time for the bedtime story. And I don't uh, actually know if I've prepared Kiri for this. No. So I this might be horrendously uncomfortable for Kiri. Okay. But I feel like you can handle it. Dino erotica is a thing. It's cool, we ain't kink shaming. In fact, we like it so much, we're gonna read some out to you now. Let's see what you think. So hopefully that jingle explained enough. Um, <laughs> it's time for our favourite segment where we pay homage to dinosaur erotica. Um... Now, today's bedtime story is a listener submission, and I haven't read it yet, so I I hope it's not offensive. Um, It's called Night at the Natural History Museum. When the doors close on the Natural History Museum's main auditorium, a sad flump can be heard throughout every gallery, every exhibition room, and every dimly lit corridor. You might assume it is a dead noise, a stirring of still air, but you would be quite wrong. Instead, it is the whining of a dog as its owner leaves the house, or the sniffing back of snotty tears after a tantrum. A longing haunts the museum's halls at night time, turns to look behind her. Oh, goodness, no. A longing haunts the museum's halls at night time. Sandra, the museum's nocturnal security guard feels it every time she lets out the last of the daylight workers and closes the main doors. She always turns to look behind her quickly and is surprised when she only sees the dead and dusty bones of the diplodocus standing above her, seemingly quiet as the grave. (laughs) Shaking her head, each night she begins her usual routine around the building to check that everything is locked up and secure before she grabs a cup of tea and wanders into an exhibit. She jokes with her friends that the job has been wonderful for increasing their general knowledge score at the weekly pub quiz. (laughs) She visits all the galleries each night, but often she barely considers those containing rocks or old medical equipment. She prefers the animal rooms, and her favourites are those containing the fossils of creatures long dead but not forgotten. Tonight is no different for Sandra as she locks up. The sigh echoes around her as she closes the doors like like normal, and when she whirls around to look up at Dippy, the dinosaur stands alone and still behind her. She walks up to the fossilised dino and gently pats it on the head. Night, night, you. (laughs) She whispers lovingly into where she imagines its ears to have been. (laughs) That was a nice detail. With a little tickle on the chin, she moves on. As she's walking away, something clicks into place in her mind, and fear grips her. She shouldn't be able to reach its head. Usually, the skull is well out of reach. Someone must have moved it, which means... Burglars. (laughs) She jumps into a fighting stance. (laughs) And simultaneously pulls out her large, shiny torch, which has the dual functionality of being able to illuminate shady corners and conk on the head anyone stupid enough to get near her. Gripping the torch firmly, she starts to scan the atrium for intruders. The beam of light works its way down the stairs and into every nook and cranny within reaching distance until it finally lands on Dippy, who has again moved. Sandra feels her cheeks flush with anger, and she's only taken one step forward to properly investigate the skeleton when something unbelievable happens. (laughs) Dippy stirs. (laughs) Dippy, the millions of years dead pile of bones, twists its long neck to bring its face around to look at her. To look at her? It doesn't even have eyes! (laughs) But Sandra swears that its sockets are staring right into her. A moment that could have been hours passes as they gaze at one another, frozen in place by a startled electricity that fizzes between them. All at once, Sandra throws her body away from the dinosaur and Dippy takes a step forward. Its dry bones squeak over each other as it moves them for the first time in millennia and all in her direction. (laughs) Would have been awkward if it was only one in her direction. (laughs) She can't quite believe what's happening, but a throat-choking, finger-numbing terror has swept over her before she trips over on the steps. (laughs) 
Her bottom hits the tiled floor, sending a shock through her spine, and she drops her torch with an echoing clang. Looking up, she sees Dippy react to the sound and look at where the torch is now rolling away from them. In amazement, Sandra almost forgets to be scared as she wonders how on earth this magnificent beast could be moving, hearing and seeing, yet still only bone and metal pins. How? she asks in awe. The dinosaur cocks its head as if to answer and a mumble can be heard from deep inside its ribcage. It takes a step forward, then another, and Sandra's fear returns. It's like an elephant, only bigger. Five elephants. Five elephants coming towards her with heavy, really heavy feet and teeth, and oh God, she is very, very scared. We're running out of time. She continues to be scared for a while. Dippy's getting closer. She can't focus properly. Dippy, she asks, not sure what else to do. Again, a rumble is audible from inside the creature's breast, a sound not dissimilar to the purring of a cat. Surprised and not a little confused, Sandra finds herself reaching forwards with a shaking hand. Miraculously, Dippy's head comes to meet it. They touch and both catch their breath in the same instant. Beneath her fingers, the scales are cool and smooth, like sea glass found on a cold, windswept beach. <laughs> you can't be alive. Her voice is soft. <laughs> Mine wasn't. <laughs> And in response, Dippy shuffles a little closer so that a gust of warm air flushes over her face. She giggles. There is nothing inelegant about them, she realizes. This dinosaur may look large, but it's perfectly in control, and it knows its body. <laughs> <laughs> Any fear that had been left in her is gone, but instead that energy burns around her limbs, pumping her heart faster and igniting something in her that she had been unaware of until this very instant. Her cheeks flush and, embarrassed, she pulls her hand back. The dinosaur lets out a slight moan and dips its head after her hand, but diverges the motion towards her neck. Before she knows what's happening, its lips are at her throat and nipping at her skin. She panics and lets out a frightened whisper, then sucks in her breath as she realizes that Dippy isn't trying to hurt her. Dippy is trying to arouse her. <laughs> Dippy's lips pluck delicately along the tender parts of her neck, its tongue flicking up to her earlobe before cascading down her top and along the line of her bra cup. Its head follows, and before she knows what's happening, the dinosaur's gentle teeth are pulling off her shirt buttons one by one. The uniform grey top is on the floor before she has a chance to help, and she then knows that she wants to help. <laughs> she wants this as much as Dippy does, and in that moment, she gives in to that delicious feeling that is spreading through her body and making her toes curl in her steel-capped boots. She reaches behind her and unclasps her bra, letting the dino tongue have full access to her nipples. But after a quick suck, it turns its attention to her trousers. More dexterous than she could have imagined, Dippy somehow undoes the button and zip with its mouth and slowly, teasingly, begins to work them and her pants down her hips. She rocks her hips forward to help and instead the dinosaur abandons her disrobing and plunges her head towards her vagina. Sandra shrieks, this is very visceral. Sandra shrieks aloud in shock and then moans even louder in pleasure. Soon her sighs can be heard in every gallery, every exhibition room and every dimly lit corridor so that all the other fossils have to wonder if this will become a nightly occurrence at the Natural History <laughs> Museum. Now, at the end, they've written a note. Hey, you two. Once I'd written this, I read it to my boyfriend and made him more uncomfortable than I've ever <laughs> seen him. We're coming to the recording on the 13th in Edinburgh, the early one, I think. I hope you make him feel just as uncomfortable. <laughs> Amazing. that very stoically so well done to you um sophie do you have a thing of the week the thing we're plugging this week has got that extra special thing that makes them unique like a triceratops which has teeth and horns and a beak i would like to recommend a podcast called uh daddy look at me it is by uh, helen bauer and rosie jones and i don't know where they would have gotten the idea from to do a 
podcast based on daddy issues. But either way, I think that's what the world needs. And it's actually really, really funny. And I wish we'd called ours that so that they couldn't make theirs. But it's really good. And there is a caveat, which is if you listen to it, you're not allowed to stop listening to ours. So only listen if you also keep listening to this one. That's just a rule. <laughs> if you break it, you, you're dead. Not dead to me, dead. I'll kill you. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Kerry, do you have anything you want to plug at all before we go? Um, w w uh, a musical is going to be on the television on the 26th of August. It would be great if you watched it. It's on Comedy Central. Tweet about it. That'd be nice. That's it. Cool. Um, please, can we have a huge round of applause for Kerry for being our amazing guest today? Talking Thank about Thanks so much, mate. Um, it's been blissful, but that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for coming, guys. Come See you. you have been listening to Secret Dinosaur Cult. You can follow us on Twitter at Secret Dino Cult, on Instagram and Facebook as Secret Dinosaur Cult. Sign up for our newsletter on secretdinosaurcult.com, where you can also find tickets for our future cult meetings, and you can give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Secret Dinosaur Cult is a Dying Alone Limited production produced by Justine McNichol, Jingle by Harriet Brain, and artwork by Gavin Smart and Annalise Napper. Thank you for listening. <laughs>